Hi, welcome back. 2022, our first podcast of the year. We're going to be interviewing Sam from Growing Families. Okay, so that'll be about his his personal story and a bit about his organisation. And the episode starts now. Enjoy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm Dixon. And we are two intended dads and a yarn. <laughs> Do we need to sit in this close when we're talking? No, you can sit back. Do we need to be like. Don't, you don't need to make out on the microphone. <clears throat> oh, hello. It's still connecting. Hello. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you guys. Nice, nice to meet you. you. So, um, yeah, I'm not very good at these things. <laughs> I edited it together so it sounds like he yep. is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What we've been trying to do is get um, queer parent stories. Um, so sort of like, how did you get into parenting? Um, and then sort of look at some general sort of advice. Well, I start by telling you how we got into being dads. Yeah, that'd be, yeah that'd be great. Whatever you're happy to share. So I'm Sam Everingham and I'm a gay dad via surrogacy and egg donation. My partner and I, Phil, have been together for, oh, 16 years. I forget sometimes. <laughs> um, when I came out as gay when I was maybe 23, I was, I was pretty upset about giving up the chance to have kids. And I went through quite a bit of grief about that because mm. back then, you know, surrogacy wasn't a thing and gay guys weren't, weren't having kids or children. Yeah. Anyway, I moved on and then, you know, a decade or so later, Phil and I were together and um, started talking to him about it and we went and did the foster care course um, in Sydney and, and passed that and that was great. And, mm-hmm. and then Phil got cold feet and said, oh, look, you know, I couldn't bear to have to say goodbye if the kids had to go back to their, their birth parents, that'd be too hard. And I respected that, so, you know, we were about ready for a placement and that sort of went out the window. Yeah. We moved to Melbourne a bit later on and um, and then we met some other families, some gay dad families who had kids and that got, inspired us to, you know, to go a bit further. They'd done surrogacy, some of them in the USA, some of them in India. Back then in 2009, Australian surrogacy wasn't really a thing. And we, you know, followed what, what a few of the guys had done and went over to India and, and worked with an agency in New Delhi. And yeah. it was complicated. We chose a South African donor and yeah. we sort of got her to come to Delhi and we made embryos and we had lots of transfers that didn't work. How did you actually sort of come across the stuff in India? Did you sort of find out from other people? Oh, just word of mouth. Yeah, back then it was just about talking to the other gay dads who'd used the same agencies. We all just sort of copy what other people have done mm. was there any advertising that you saw towards gay couples for kids no well there was, there was back then there were yahoo forums i think that people would talk about the journeys on these yahoo forums they didn't really advertise no it was pretty fledgling days but mm. but you know having met people who'd done it gave us a bit of confidence and and so we you know went over and, and did that and it was, it was just hard because yeah. it wasn't working out and back then the, the clinics would encourage you to transfer two or three or four embryos at a time and many of the guys were having having twins and stuff. And we, you know, said, oh, yeah, sure, put in embryos, that's fine. And, mm. and then we, our surrogate was carrying twins and they came really, really early at about 25 weeks gestation. And yeah. Zach was stillborn and Ben was in care and he, he died after seven weeks of us 
being with him in intensive care. So that was horrible. And I went, I got really depressed and suicidal and blamed myself. And it was horrible. Mm. So we came home. I left some sperm there. We, we decided that maybe we'd go again. This time we changed to an Indian egg donor. We decided, look, we'd come this far. Yeah. And, and, and we did go again. And this time we didn't want to have the risk of twins again. So we we worked with two different surrogates and, and each of them carried one baby. And those girls were born in 2011. Mm-hmm. That's Ruby and Zoe. So they're 10-year-old girls now. And, and so, look, it was a really happy outcome in the end. What's it like having 10-year-olds? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fun. Terrific. You know, I would never any other way. You know, it, it really changed our lives. I mean, look, your life changes a heap. You know, a lot of dads come to me after they first have the kids. They say, oh, you didn't tell me it was going to be like this, having to change the nappies and bloody give up my social life and that. But look, it, but it's great. You know, it, life does change. Now they're older. You know, they can go on, on play dates mm-hmm. with their friends and ride their bike down to the park and stuff like that. So, it's, you know, so it's, it's, it's fun. They're in, what, year five this year at school. So, you know, it's a cute sort of age. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're loving it. it. It's been it's been a real blessing to ha- have family when we never thought we would have family. Yeah. I was worried, though, because I was an you know, older dad. By the time surrogacy became a thing, I'd, I was probably in my early 40s. And I thought, oh, I'm not all too old to be a dad. But look, I see so many couples nowadays who are straight and gay who have kids at that age. I mean, a lot of the, the, the gay guys I see now who, who, who I help are in their 30s, early 30s. Yeah, well, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> early 30s? Not early 30s. You're early 30s. I'm now late. Right. <laughs> that's when I, you know, I wish we'd, we'd, we'd been able to do it. Um, it's just a nice time to be able to do it when you're sort of a bit younger and, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you've just got to plan ahead. With, um, like, the plebiscite happened back in 2017, yeah. what was it like going through that as being a parent at the time? Oh, look, I was pretty resilient. At the time, but for, for for many of us, it was it was tough. I remember like my partner Phil got involved in the campaign, and yeah, look, personally, I didn't find it hard because I was thick skinned. Um, but for for many in our community, it it was horrible, mm-hmm. you know, because there were, there were judgmental things being thrown around. You know, it was just it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And your kids were not quite old enough to really understand what was going on. No, luckily they weren't really. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, maybe we took them to a rally or two, but they weren't really old enough. And I mean, for them, you know, having gay dads is so normal, you know, because it's all they've ever known. And our neighbourhood, we're in a conservative part of Sydney, but they're still really accepting, yeah. you know, here, here of us. And, you know, there's never been any issue about, you know, being, although they're the only kids at school who've got two gay dads at their school, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's fine. It's not an issue. How did you um? How how did you figure out which school to send them to? Oh, look, we just for the local school who was in our area. You know, we we just wanted the kids. For us, it's important for the kids to be able to, you know, walk to school. Yep. Um, yep. something close by. So you know, the local public school was fine. I mean, um, and and it's great. Oh, great. Things like what about things like doctors visits and hospitals? Like those places generally, they'll be like. Have did you did you did, did you <laughs> run into encounters like well, where's their mother or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened in India when we were when we were travelling around India with the kids when they've really just been born. We went up to the Ganges and and did a sort of blessing in the river and the people we were saying, well, where's the mother? You know, it got really annoying for a while. Mm. Over here, yeah, you know, you get people in the shops saying, you know, giving your wife a day off. People just assume you're a, if you got kids that you're a straight couple. Mm. 
And so you've got to sort of either correct them or ignore it. What a lot of the gay guys don't realise is that if they do surrogacy overseas like we, we did, they're not, strictly speaking, the legal parents of the kid on the Family Law Act. Mm. If you do it locally in Australia, here you are, but overseas, you're not. So, look, no one knows that. Even the doctors don't know or care, as long as the kid's got a Medicare card, which they do. Mm. Uh, well, we found uh, the doctors and schools have been really accepting. You know, there's never been a, an eyebrow raised. As long as the professionals you deal with can see that you're concerned about your kids and you love them, that's what they want to see. Yeah. I mean, the paperwork at the start is a bit messy, you know, getting your Medicare card and, and uh, a few other bits and pieces because sometimes they just don't have a spot to put two dads on on forms. Mm. Better. I mean, but, you know, sometimes, you know, kids will ask them, oh, who's your mother? And they say, well, we don't have a mother. We have two dads. Yeah. 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 And there were teachers at school who said, oh, that's impossible. You know, you must have a mother. Um, and so, you know, it's important, you know, to, talk to the teachers too about where they come from mm. yeah did you find um that you had to have like any sort of explicit conversations about making children stuff like that when they were quite young or is that just sort of happened naturally we were always really open to kids well what i always encourage couples when we did this is just make a storybook for each of them about how they were created so pictures of their egg diner and pictures of their surrogate and and their birth pictures and stuff and just have that so they can look through it when they're little so they know who's who, because it's complicated for kids when they're young about even knowing what they've done and what a surrogate is. Mm. So you can't sort of tell them the full story till they're a bit older because then they get, get a hit around the biology of it. But you just sort of say, you know, we need some help to have, you know, another lady to carry you in her tummy and, and stuff. And they just, that becomes a normal part of their life. And they tell all their friends the same thing because they've grown up with. We started selling them young. They, they've always been comfortable with it. You know, often, you know, their friends when they were young would say, oh, tell me about it. Uh, why haven't you got a mum? And they, they're quite good at explaining it now. Mm. Yeah. Did you um do you did you keep any contact with the surrogate at all? No, that's a sad thing about India is that was really hard culturally and stuff. The clinics didn't encourage it. Um and and the surrogates back then they were hard they wouldn't give you their addresses to write to them unless you really insisted. So no, that's been a, that's been the the hard part of it for me. The, the sad most mm. is that is just not being able to have that ongoing contact. These days, people doing overseas surrogacy, it's much better. The agencies now and the parents will are able to keep in contact, even if they're in non-speaking countries. Yeah. And also, because in India, like some other countries now, like Ukraine, the donors are all anonymous. You couldn't even sort of get details of your egg donor. Yeah. Okay. But us, the pictures were precious, and the time we had over there with them worth of pressure so at least we've got the storybook for the kids yeah and we'll take them back to india when we can that's why you know if you can do surrogacy locally and have an ongoing relationship with, with the surrogate right? yeah yes all that connection well that's what we're trying to you know <laughs> we're trying to get that foundation started um it's taking a little while yeah. in the second year of it now so yeah yeah and, it's, and it's, you know, i get guys coming to me you know two or three years in they say oh we've been to two or three or four well, offers, if you like, like it, so just, you know, I don't know what to do now. You know, I can, you've got to be patient. Yeah. Because of the trauma I'd been through, many other couples have been through, it, it sort of inspired me to start up this um, charity mm -hmm. called Surrogacy Australia uh, to try and, you know, help other Australians because we're all floundering around in the dark. Yeah. Uh, just at the mercy of agencies and Yahoo groups and websites. And we, I think we did a first conference in Melbourne in mm. 2000 and 
11 or so and it was huge you know people just came from all over australia we, we just we couldn't we couldn't fit yeah starved for information yeah they were yeah it was just ridiculous there's people coming from way out of the woodwork who just didn't know where to go mm. and so we ran events every year and then we started doing some seminars as well and then we realized you know that no one was doing this kind of you know consumer-led stuff that sort of turned branched out into something called families through surrogacy because we started running similar events in the uk and a bit later in ireland usa and and then you know it changed to growing families a few years ago mm-hmm. because so many people needed egg donors yeah as well as surrogates. so we didn't want to brand it just as surrogacy because lots of people would requiring just the egg donor part or egg donor plus a surrogate mm-hmm. and so look it's been really nice to work with so many gay dads you know around australia and the world you know who who are floundering you know and, and to see you know surrogacy here in australia grow because we would we always do sort of panels of parents on these events where we get parents to talk about you know their recent experiences surrogates talk about you know carrying and egg donors talk and mm. Older kids talk about being born by surrogacy, so it's sort of it's a nice mix to show people that you know this can work and you're not crazy, um, and you know you're not going to muck up your kids' lives maybe if you do it right and you tell them all the right stuff up front. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, resources out there for to learn about surrogacy that I didn't know about beforehand. There's just so much out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the growing families does. Um, I think we do seminars a few times a year. We have an annual conference every year, and and that's always really popular because we have one day devoted just to domestic surrogacy, um, one day on international options. Mm-hmm. And we get surrogates coming from around Australia to that. For them, it's a real networking event. It's in Sydney in um, in June. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that, that's always lots, lots of fun. People use it as a bit of a social get-together because a lot of people are only communicating on on forums for all year they get the chance to come together at the national conference and they, they have a bit of a party yeah oh it's it's obviously like we've chatted to a couple of surrogates around here and there's been some who like haven't even met their intended parents because of covid stuff and they're sort of going through the whole process and just doing zoom conferences you can't really get to know families you know without really spending time in their homes and stuff you know that that really scares me that kind of thing. So that's why we say, look, you know, at least come along and do some weekends together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's been good. You know, I'm still on the board at Surrogacy Australia, you know, yeah. with that, but that organisation is now focused purely on domestic surrogacy and and, and facilitating that mm, yeah. um, particularly. And we've got a long way to go with getting that better. Um, yeah, yeah, lots of... Legal challenges and oh, cultural challenges, and yeah, yeah, it's tough. When I see what countries like the UK and Canada do in this space, it's so much more effective than what we do. I think, oh god, it's annoying. Mm. You know, in an ideal world, I wish everybody could could find a surrogate to carry in their own country. You know, these days I'm mostly involved with international programs for people who can't find a surrogate locally. Yeah. But it's hard, you know, just, you know, yeah, most of these couples and singles are really motivated and they'll do it and it'll work, but it's just, a, it's a tough road mm. um, um, wherever you do it. I mean, even doing it at home here is tough too um, yeah, in Australia. You just, you've just got to be resilient and patient and yeah. caring and yeah. open-minded and willing to make changes. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So how have you, like, over that time, so you, you went through India, have you seen sort of the countries and things that are, people are using overseas change quite a lot? Yeah, immensely. So, you know, back in 2010, 11, 12, maybe even 13, you know, India was open to the, the gay guys like us and then it closed down. And so a lot of guys then started going to Thailand um, for surrogacy. Um, mm. And that became really popular. They had a military coup there, a baby gammy case, when that closed down. There were guys doing surrogacy in Nepal, having babies in Nepal and some in Cambodia. Yeah. Um, all what we call now unregulated programs. They operated sort of, you know, on the edges of the, of the law. But mm-hmm. what the Australian government still does, you know, is said all, at least one of the parents is an Australian citizen. Mm. Um, and if there's a biological connection between the kitty and the parent, then kid gets Australian citizenship. Nowadays, you know, for, for, for gay guys, you know, if they can't find a surrogate locally, most of them, you know, are having to engage in USA or Canada, or if they can't afford one of those places. Um, we, we talked about programs in Mexico or Argentina um, mm-hmm. uh, and a few other countries that offer programs. There's not, you know, a lot of choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's getting less now that you, um, Ukraine's not really an option <laughs> no. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that was never an option for we gay guys, but um, yeah, but it, that's right. We're now having to sort of, you know, work around the clock to look at solutions for many, many Australian couples who've got embryos yeah. in Ukraine and need to look at other options, which might be Canada, you know, might be Greece for them or USA, Georgia, kind of thing. Yeah. So in terms of, like, this is one that I always get asked and I never have the answer for. What do your children call you? They call Phil Daddy, your dad, and me Papa. Okay. So was that a decision that you guys made or was that a decision the kids made? Because I was comfortable with Papa. Yeah. Yeah, and it just gives you two different names. You can, I mean, we keep mixing up or they can mix it up all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, some couples go, go, oh, Daddy Phil and Daddy Sam, but we thought it was a bit weird. Yeah. So you get some couples who hyphenate their names who go into, oh, we'll do a hyphenated name, you know, for us and the kids, you know, but because we had long names anyway, it was Everingham and Copeland, it would have been Everingham Copeland, that was going to be stupid. Yeah. So I thought, and the poor kids with that. So, so what did you end up doing? Did you. We, we ended up keeping my surname for the kids. So Phil said you can keep yeah. surname and I'll choose the first names. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Split down the middle, one side yours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How did you just make the decision about who would be the genetic? Oh, look, for us, Bill didn't want to do it. He was, you know, in our case, he said, no, you, you do it. I don't think my genes are that good, you know. <laughs> um, so he said, no, I don't want to handle my dad was a bit weird. So um, <laughs> you, you, you do it. And that was fine. You know, I, was, I didn't really care one way or another. But, you know, some couples, they'll try and do one of each, you know, and that, that's, that's pretty common. Or, mm. um, but for him, he said, oh, no, I just want to be dad. And, and it's a good thing about this kind of stuff is you don't need to have a genetic connection to be connected. No, mm. no. If you're with them from birth, you get a bond sort of just there. Yeah. Do you, do you find that when new people meet your kids, that one of the first things they do is try to guess who the father is? No. No. No? I mean, these things are a bit rude to even ask. Yeah. I don't know. No, they don't ever say, well, maybe behind their backs, they, they, they guess, but I don't know. You're not supposed to ask that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, well. They'll often ask, are they the same age? Because they don't look the same age. And sometimes they'll ask, well, are they twins? 
Uh, and the twins question is complicated because they're not strictly speaking twins. They're what we call twiblings. Okay, yeah, because they're siblings born at the same time. Correct. So Alex is a very, um, he likes to cook a lot of different foods. And so we've got a very broad diet and such. Um, but having kids, did you find that you really had to find what they would eat? Real pain. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm a big one to try and expose them to everything, and they're pretty good eaters now, but in the early days, it was, you've got to get really boring meals. You either cook something for yourself and something for the kids. Like, and Phil does the cooking now because he's a stay-at-home dad. Um, he, he loves it, but these days we'll try and cook the same meal for all of us because it just gets too much work doing two, two different meals. And we just try and push them a bit. Just, you've got to do less spicy food. It's just a bit boring. Mm, yeah. You know, less imaginative stuff. Or just say, okay, kids, you're eating early. You can have your spaghetti earlier, then we'll, we'll have our meal. And just make their meals really simple. But it's just, yeah, you do have to make compromises on your, yeah. your quality of life, quality of meals, I suppose, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you go mad. You, just, you can't sort of, you know, be the perfect parent. Do you find, um, have you ended up finding like a social group in terms of queer families or are you... Mostly sort of hanging around whatever families there are. Sydney's pretty good like that. We, you know, we're well connected in the gay dads community here in Sydney. You know, we're marching with the kids in the, in the Mardi Gras parade next weekend um, as part of the gay dads float. Mm -hmm. You know, we go on, on annual camping trips with the gay dads. It, it, it's terrific, you know that. I mean, we don't do as much with them now as we used to when the kids were younger and we do sort of play date meet meetups. But certainly a few key events a year, like the, the Halloween party and the Mardi Gras and the, and the camping weekend are really fun ways to get together with the other dads and the kids and, and just normalise it. You know, and the kids realise, you know, there's plenty of other kids out there with, with gay parents and they're mates with us. We can have a drink together and go away for the weekend. It's really fun. Yeah. 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 Are you looking forward to the day that they start high school? <laughs> I don't know. They'll be teenagers maybe then. And I've heard girls teenagers are scary. So yeah. I didn't have sisters in either so I'm a bit scared about teenage girls. Um, I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen there? We'll, we'll, we'll cope, I suppose. Oh, well, we're in this situation of Alex has only got sisters and I've only got older, I've got two older sisters. So. Right. Yeah. So you're used to them. Yeah. When, we, when girls came out, we thought, oh my God, what are we going to do with girls? Um, because we just had to know if we got them. You know, and, and back in those days in India, you weren't allowed to do gender testing. You couldn't even know what it was till birth came. Mm. So suddenly, you know, you landed in the hospital. Oh, it's a girl! Ah! Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been great. Shopping, like buying clothes for your kids and stuff. What's it like going to the supermarkets and having just to go and buy girls' clothing? Well, we both hate doing that. <laughs> Neither of us are sort of shoppers. So we sort of rely a lot on hand-me-downs from the, from the neighbours. Yeah. And mum um, gets them clothes a bit because uh, she likes buying them clothes. We're pretty hopeless, you know. I mean, we'll go to Kmart and say, oh, look, you know, what do you want? But we're not very good at it. We don't, we don't like shopping, so. Yeah. <laughs> are you finding it's a bit easier now that the girls are a bit older? Yeah, yeah, it is. Because they now know a bit more what they want. Being, being guys, I don't know, I'm just not, not a natural clothes shopper. Yeah, I, I always think it's funny when women ask me about fashion stuff and I look at them and I always go, you realise I'm a man interested in men, so I don't really pay attention to women's fashion. No, I know, exactly. People sit thought, well, you assume if you're a gay guy, you're into, into fashion or something, and we're just sort of... Yeah. 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 What was your, like, moment as a parent where you're like, oh, my God, I've totally stuffed up? Have you had any sort of moment where you had, like, a big panic and you went, oh? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, look, 
I remember we panicked a bit at the start when we, when the kids were first born. We thought, what on earth do we do? How do we feed them with these bottles and stuff? You know, how do we soothe them to sleep? You know, you really just think, oh my God, I'm going to kill them. Mm. Um, but that, so that was a bit stressful in the first few weeks. When they get older, no, but just, I suppose you just feel, you are you doing the right thing? Are you, are you pushing him hard enough to learn to read and stuff like that? But it's not the same doubts and worries that any parent goes through yeah you know just you know you learn on the job and yeah i found being that i was less stressed out about it maybe i didn't worry so much about uh, doing the wrong thing or something and for some guys like it comes naturally being being a dad and other guys it it, it takes a while to sink into mm. i think for phil it was six months before he really got into his groove but then he, then he, you know, he, he loves it now. Cool. How do you find now that you've got your role where you get to see a lot of other sort of dads going through the process? Does it sort of make you think you change things or? You know, it's, it's the best part of the, the job I have is just being able to, you know, have guys come along to an event one year, then, you know, maybe two years later, they're dads, you know, and you, and you meet those kids and you, mm. it's just amazing, you know, and then you see the kids grow up, you know, because they, they come to sort of stuff year or two later it, it, it's been lovely especially when you get guys who don't know what they're doing and you can guide them a bit and and you know put them in touch with the right people to help them it, it, it it's it, it's so nice especially given you know we would have loved that help when we were sort of going through it years before and it wasn't there it's been great and we make great friends through it you know lots of people here are such good friends now who, who've been through tough journeys and you know even now you know i've got couples on on whatsapp with in ukraine right now who mm. i'm struggling to get in to see their babies in ukraine or something and you know they'll be friends for life you know because they're just, you're with them on extraordinary journeys which is pretty stressful but you don't forget that stuff yeah mm. Have you got any words of advice you'd like to oh, yeah. give gay intending dads? Um, I suppose what I'd say is no two family journeys are the same. You can't sort of just copy and paste someone else's journey mm. from Facebook and just say, oh, I'm going to do it like they did because it won't be the same. You know, you'll, you'll have um, a different experience and you've got to be prepared to sort of, you know, think outside the square and, and, and probably not, not rely just on, on social media for your for your journey you know you need to you need to talk to real people <laughs> experts who, experts who know what they're doing who've done this who've advised lots of people like like i have before you just see people who flounder around on social media for years and just never quite move ahead because they're a bit i don't know scared or they just think it'll happen mm. yeah so that's the thing i do is just don't, don't just sit there without reaching out for help i think we've covered most of it pretty well yeah i well, thanks for giving us some of your time and letting us learn a bit about you and your growing families. Oh, that's all right. It's great to, to know who you guys are. Now, now I know it. I'll start listening to the podcast. All right. And did you say that your conference is in June, is it? The... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 19 June. Um, and yeah, it, we do a different city. Yeah, this year it's Sydney. All right. Then we'll, I'll look into that and maybe we might come over for a visit. Thank you. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, you guys must be good at editing. <laughs> I'm a, I do teach media studies and stuff like that, so yeah. I'm going to make yeah. sure I use my skills. <laughs> yeah, and I've got. Uh, I'm in. I'm completely in the dark about this. So I just. I'm just here to make up numbers. <laughs>